Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm David Ekstrom. This episode is brought to you by Case IH. On the outskirts of Smyrna, Delaware, Andrea and Michael Haridos run an unassuming homestead. While an unlikely and unexpected endeavor for these career real estate agents, the couple has transformed seven acres into a refuge for the herding, a classroom for the curious, and a shelter for all who wander. Huck and Buck Farm Sanctuary is all about feeding people, whether it be their bellies, their minds, or their souls. This is part of the series Hometown Heroes, which profiles residents who strive to better the economics and lifestyles of their rural communities. Before we hear from successful farming editor Cassidy Walter and her conversation with Andrea and Michael Haridos, we would like to thank our sponsor, Case IH. My mom's got a new Case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Welcome to this edition of the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Cassidy Walter, the Business Management Editor. I'm joined by Andrea and Michael Haridos, owners of Huck and Buck Farm Sanctuary in Smyrna, Delaware. Real estate agents by trade, Andrea and Michael started Huck and Buck just a few years ago. Why don't you guys tell us a little bit about how you got started? So we got started by the initial thought was to move because we were in a HOA and in a neighborhood that didn't allow us to actually have the chickens that Michael wanted to have um over time so we decided to move we looked at a couple of several properties but then we came across this property that needed before rehab but it's the seven acres is what was the big attraction the spacing was also an attraction location not necessarily the greatest but it all started from just that michael wanting to have chickens and us kind of delving into that venture so I, i would say specifically a rooster we, we probably could have snuck three or four chickens in our subdivision, sure. but you can't sneak a rooster. So that was, that was between that and we had too much house. We had a four bedroom, big kind of family house. And it's just the two of us. So the, as long as we had, you know, a couple bedrooms, a couple of bathrooms and the property that those were our goals. Being outside. So it was switching from not necessarily having more house, and stuff, but more or less now, as we were in our, at that time, early 50s, mid 50s for him, being outside, um, outdoors, the adventure, and actually even starting a whole new life, so to speak, with having animals. So what was the driving force behind that kind of change in your, in your life? That was a pretty big change. I think it was just a, a congruence of not needing as much house. Right. Uh, wanting to, you know, do more animals, wanting to do more gardening. Um, the market was in a place where it was still attractive for us to buy something and, you know, we could get a decent return on the house that we were in. Um, I don't want to say it was all about the chickens, but it might have been all about the chickens. It might have been all about the chickens. It really was. It was more or less him at, at the time my daughter was graduating from college and every time I started to do more renovations to the current home, 
he always mentioned having a coop and the chickens. And it just got to the point after a full paint job on the property, full re-sanding and staining the flooring color to a different color, that at that point, I was like, I'm not doing anything else if we're going to move. So that was really the decision. It was him really wanting to have the chickens. And me being afraid of getting started in that project because I didn't know how big it could be and we knew nothing. So we really learned everything from YouTube. So between the year and a half of us looking for a home, finding a home, we were watching nothing but YouTube videos on chickens, how to build chicken coops, turkeys, anything that we thought was fascinating, we started watching. So we really learned everything from YouTube because- And you were- Go ahead. And you were able to grow the, the you know, it started out as a garden and some chickens, but tell us about where you're at now with what you've got going on. So about 175 chickens? Probably more than 200. And that's me being silent. And <laughs> yeah, I know it's just recorded, but, but I'm, the visual is pointing at her. Um, you know, but she is the queen essential went to tractor supply to buy some bean seeds and all you hear is chirp 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 in the back seat exactly i'm addicted um so for so since you were here four goats yes um two pigs eight geese 20 ducks eight turkeys um the chickens are in eight different coops because we've like having the roosters, and obviously you can't have a coop full of roosters, so we've got one rooster in each of the eight or nine coops. Uh, and then a couple weeks ago, we got our meat chickens in. We got 50 meat chickens that we're going to grow out and harvest ourselves. We got the equipment over the winter. So we're going to do the, the slitting and the scalding and the plucking and all that, and we're going to be approved to sell, sell, sell the meat through the and and even before you had all that set up you were still you were selling chicken meat you just had someone else was processing it right and then you were also doing cut flowers and eggs um are there any other products that i'm forgetting that you guys are have been doing oh so events right um right i'm getting to that <laughs> first are there and I went crazy over the winter in seeding. So it allows me to know moving forward next year what not to start as as dated that they have on the seed packets. If it's 10 weeks before frost date, I would do the 10 weeks, but some things I now know to actually scale back to maybe six weeks because they grew like crazy in the basement. I had, what, about a good foot and a half height in Dallas. So, and then when I put them outside, they all died. Um, so what else we have? So plenty of flowers, the eggs we definitely have, the chicken meat, the turkey meat that we're going to be processing as we put those orders in and receive the baby chicks, grow them out. We're not going to necessarily do anything with the goats because they're like Angus and Sophia, which are the potbelly pigs. They're just there for people to see and enjoy. So the goats are two females, Piper and Vixen. And they're a little older. They're last year based on age. And then the two boys, or the year before, so that's 2020, so 2021. The year before, which is 2022, are the two boys, 
which are Nigel and Phineas, because the three came with names, the one boy didn't, so Michael named him Phineas. And when we received the goats, I was actually on the process of going out of the country, and, and I didn't know that Vixen needed to be milked as I saw her teeth full of milk. So that added to Michael's plate on top of everything else while I was gone. So that was very um, enjoyable and comical. But that's it, turkeys, goats. I don't think we're gonna really do too many more animals just because at this point we're realizing that anything that is gonna financially cost us like feed to that level, we just can't do right now. So the chickens are enough, the goats are hay, and what, sweet feed? A little bit of sweet feed. A little bit of sweet feed. The pigs are their pig food. And then the meat chicken, the meat turkeys, they, we have their um, their food also when they actually get outside. So that's about it. Everything that we bring on is going to have to have a return. Exactly. What What's it monetarily going to do for us? You know, the goats are a visual for folks that come and visit the property you know might they might bring little kids with them the goats are very friendly so that's an attraction that could potentially get somebody to book time with us that wouldn't normally book time with us uh but like shoot somebody somebody had mentioned a zebra <laughs> and and i said well what's the return on the investment for the zebra and probably about a three minute pause and we're not getting a zebra i love how you're you say it has to have a return and andrea smiles like oh no i just want it because it's cute or it's fun like and if the, if the return is the attraction so i was looking up in the state of delaware for exotic animals and it was late at night so my eyes were crossed and i really didn't see but we have a friend who has a camel so I'm going to call her. I think the only thing you're not allowed to have is a kangaroo. So, yeah, but I did read that the zebras are a little honest, so that might be the reason why not to get the zebra. That's so, the only reason. So, I think there's a you, there's a fine line between attraction that brings people in and deterrent. <laughs> donkeys. What is it like donkeys? We'll see. When you roll up here the next time, you'll be like, I see a zebra. In the back. As long as it's locked up, I'm not coming over <laughs> if it's not secured. <laughs> yes, so that's so that's about it. I think the only other animal would be the meat pigs that we get to actually harvest. It changes every time I talk to you guys. <laughs> you keep changing your minds. Thought about alpacas because everything moving forward has to have a pinned space. So I'm not one, as you know, when you came here, to like really give up a lot of ground. To I like a lot of green. I like grass. I like some flowers. I like people to be able to move and not have a lot of dirt and mud and, and all of that. So I think I think we I think we're good. I think we'll just be the pigs after that. We did think about the cows, and then I came to the realization that the pasture that has no water currently that sits on about three acres over there that even with the cows, what we mapped out is just not adequate space for them to graze. So we went to a French property 10 minutes up the road. We had 92 acres and has nothing but cows. That is the appropriate spacing that they need. So for us, it would have just been a muddy mess. So I actually gave up on the Scottish Highlands cow. Right. Run. 
so you guys have talked a lot already about visitors, people coming to the farm. So I want to kind of transition to talk about that. Um, there's you got a lot going on. It's very busy, but I think probably the coolest thing you guys are doing is with all the things that you're producing on the farm, you're using it as a way to reach out to your community. So tell us a little bit about the retreats you guys are working on and the different opportunities where you're bringing in people from the community to interact with your farm and the impact that's having. So we're on a couple of platforms right now, meaning Airbnb and HipCamp. So far, HipCamp has been the, the most, I want to say, financially, financial gain for us. And I think it's because it's camping. So due to the fact that we have a glamping tent on the property that has the bed, it has the coffee maker and the refrigerator and a nice space and setting by the pond, that that is more of a camping mindset and, and it goes it falls in that direction. So we've had right now a gentleman who's from Pittsburgh that is actually here on an assignment for his job and he and his girlfriend are here in the RV. So they've been here for five weeks now. They've been um, back and forth. So they utilize our outdoor bathroom that we had that, so that they don't have to worry about doing the, come on, the dump as far as over there on our clean out. And they interact. They're very nice. So we've got RV space. We have glamping space. And then we allow people to bring their own tent. So we have in the month of May, June, and July, we do have bookings for that that are coming up. And then we're also allowing people to use the property for events. So Mother's Day is this weekend. We're doing a paint and sip. So there's a um, a lady that is utilizing the property to do painting. So they're all gonna have their easels, their paint supplies. We actually found a female, um, an African-American female who makes homemade wine. So we purchased some of her wine to actually um, be the sip part and then I'm going to make my homemade tea for those who don't drink. But they're utilizing the property on the 13th. Then we're doing winemaking as far as the demonstration of that, as well as tasting on the 21st. Somebody's doing their family reunion in July. So there's a lot of things that are coming up that we just need to continue to advertise to get people here. I think community-wise, that would be sure. definitely Michael on your exit you offer or give. Well, I, I, I think I'd also throw in there, we do short days every right. couple months where we invite folks from the community to bring their kids in, mm -hmm. clean out chicken coops, plant stuff in the garden, feed the animals, that kind of stuff. Um, we sell eggs through the property, uh, not at farm markets or anything, just from, from the house. Right. Uh, any extras that we have go up to a food bank up in Middletown. Uh, I brought them 30 dozen eggs the other week. Tuesday, yeah. Every Tuesday. So not every, not 30 dozen every Tuesday, but <clears throat> the other Tuesday was 30 dozen. I think it was 20 dozen this past week. So anything extra that we have, we donate to the community. Uh, I think long term, Andrea's goal, one of Andrea's goals for the property is to create a place where people can chill out um, be in nature, be with the animals. Um, we've talked about having counselors meet people at the property for counseling sessions, things of that sort. That's not happening now, but I think once we get some more buildings put up on the property, we'll, we'll start 
going down that route. Right, kids' camps. I know that a lot of people posted on our on the different social media uh, threads that they wanted camp camping cost was a lot. So I thought I'll be able to put together a mini kind of two week camp, but I like to do things in excellence. So we decided to continue to wait till next year to get the right teachers, the right the right events, you know, all the different particulars that are needed to put a camp together. We need the licensing. So we need to wait and actually set that up for next year. But we want to have camps that are not just based around farming. That's a component of it, but also to add to it different things on the financial end. You know, if you want to be an entrepreneur, to have people to speak about that. Cooking classes, whether it be and understanding where your food came from. I even have a chef who's a vegan chef. So having her come on board and teach kids how to do that. So we're, we're trying to balance out this, the, the best time. Who can actually assist us with that? Because it's going to also entail more time here on the property, which is the big picture for me. It's to slowly come out of real estate, not to a full level of retirement, but to be able to pick and choose who I'm working with, but to then have about 80 to 85% of my time here on the property. So right. That's, but the and you guys have done a lot already inviting the community on your property with movie nights and ha having the Girl Scout troop come. And from our conversations, you know, it seems like you're, there's more in the works. You had, last time we talked, we talked about some mental health retreats that you were planning. And tell me a little bit about the inspiration of you know why you guys are reaching out to the community and want people to come to your property and what you're hoping they'll find. So the retreats, I think, when you and I spoke last was the last component. I think it was maybe 10 days before you and I spoke to confirm this event or this conversation that I spoken to a couple of families and in the conversations, it was an aha moment that what I received here from the farm is what I've always wanted to do, just never knew how to actually put, you know, the push pin in it to say this is what needs to happen. But children that, that have been bullied, I know a mother had reached out to me and based on that situation for her family, she had mentioned that her son wanted to come back to the farm because he was a participant in our tour day and that he wanted to come back here to let the farm be his outlet. What it happens for me is the fact that I have two children, my son Cecil and my daughter Taylor, that my son Cecil was, he, he was killed in 2013. And from that, my daughter immediately, probably two weeks after we had his burial, had she went to, off to college. So the five years that she was in school, I was hyper-focused on her getting through school, graduating, the assistance of Michael with that process. And after she graduated in 2018, it left me now in a kind of like a fog of depression of what do I now focus on because it was so much on her that I really haven't had opportunity for myself personally to be able to breathe. So that was 2018. I think probably about the end of that year into 2019 is when we decided the whole moving process because of the chickens. And Coming here, I was hell-bent on not having as much because our first order of chickens was, what, 42? And I'm I'm not knowing the fact that now that I do, that 
egg, you know, different breeds lay different amounts of eggs throughout the week and the whole bit. So I'm just looking at hens having this many eggs, the calculation that is going to be ridiculous. Who is going to purchase? How are we going to take care of it? But now that I'm in love and moving forward, that I want other people to be able to experience what it is I'm doing. So that was 20. Again, not that much interest. I think it was 2022 was the eye-opener for me that I'm starting to enjoy it. I'm starting to enjoy being outside, not caring how I look, nails dirty, no makeup on, Crocs, the worst sweatpants and T-shirts. And I think that was the year that Michael really allowed me to do nothing but the gardening. So he was really concentrating on the animals, all the housing that they needed, the building process of that, that I was more or less the weeding, the planting, the sowing, the harvesting. And I enjoyed seeing what was coming up. So through that, I want other individuals to be able to have a different outlet from just counseling and indoor counseling and conversation, because I've noticed that as much as I was going to different counselors for personal and then the loss of my son, that it just didn't work for me. Just like the conversation, I'm a, I'm a talker, as you can tell. Yeah, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> the outdoors allowed me to talk to myself. People do do that. And answer my own questions and get out of my own head and actually figure out my own problems. So I know I'm not the only one that does it that way. That being in this space allows you to not look crazy because you're out on seven acres and you can look like you're talking to animals or whatever, but you're really talking to yourself. So yes, it's healthy for me and I want other people to be able to come on the property, kids, parents, families, to be able to have that experience and get through whatever it is they're going through in life. It doesn't have to be, like I mentioned, death of a child. It could be the death of a relationship, loss of a job from being fired that you've been on for 25 years and now you don't know what to do based on financially. It can be the loss of anything, but I think the retreats, once we start putting it together, is going to assist people in doing that. And now, a word from our sponsor. My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car. Steer with ease. And... It can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. And now back to the podcast. You guys also mentioned the importance of helping people understand where their food comes from. And I, in the time I've spent with you guys, especially Michael, I can tell it's something that you're really passionate about. And so tell me more about that, about how you guys are using the farm. And you've got all these people coming, whether it's from the bookings they're doing from the camping sites or kids visiting, how are you engaging with the community and helping them understand where their food comes from? We've had a couple of different, between the Girl Scouts and a couple of daycare groups. I think they're at a young enough age where they just didn't really understand tomatoes come from a tomato plant or potatoes come grow in the ground. 
So it, it's been enjoyable to show them that kind of seed to harvest process. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with the chickens. I mean, we've, we get grown folk here that think you need a rooster to get eggs. And you don't need a rooster to get eggs. The female chickens produce eggs, whether there's a rooster or not. The only thing the rooster does is fertilize the eggs. So I think it's that. I think it's us moving here right before the pandemic hit mm -hmm. and going to the grocery store and not seeing chicken on the shelves, not seeing pork on the shelves, not seeing toilet paper on the shelves, not that we're growing toilet paper, <laughs> but, but to, to instruct people and inform people that you can have four chickens in your, in your backyard and, and not have to worry about getting eggs at the store. And, and and when those four chickens cycle out, you can harvest them and get four more chickens and get more eggs coming in. So that there's a certain amount of, there's a little bit of a self-sufficiency kind of undertone to, to what we're looking for people to do. Um, you know, you don't have to have 200 chickens. You can have six chickens in a six by six spot space in your backyard and teach your own kids where eggs come from. So I think that's, certainly part of what we're looking to do also and the healthiness of it i mean to know that the animals are just basically grass-fed grain-fed water treats meaning you know this different scratch that we give them peas corn sunflower seeds that are in that scratch we try to support local um, suppliers that will give us the feed we started off with tractor supply and there's not that there's anything wrong with tractor supply but we just wanted to go in the direction of a little higher protein and again supporting local that we went in that direction and like michael said you know the adults even when we're seeding in january they don't even know that that's where it starts so where they see things at the different nurseries based on veggies that are the plants that they're purchasing to put in their garden it starts to seed at some point whether it's regular gardening or aquaponic it starts at a smaller stage so i laugh sometimes at friends that you know february do you have any spinach in the garden i'm like it's february there's nothing in the garden right now i would love for something to be in the garden as impatient as i am but there's nothing in the garden we're just used to going to the grocery store and putting everything in the cart and really not realizing that it's coming from somewhere and when it's coming from somewhere it has to be preserved to a level that it can come from that somewhere to your grocery store so for us it's just natural stuff that there's nothing on there's nothing no pesticides or chemicals or anything that are on the plants to keep them growing but very little love... is that what he's saying <laughs> if there's an outbreak there's going to be scorched earth <laughs> um, have you guys ever thought about doing indoor like building a greenhouse or doing more stuff in your basement so you could have spinach in february so we're we we realize based upon what we can do and what we have mm -hmm. that we're not going to be vegetable producers right we're, we're going to have garden space for ourselves we're going to have garden space for folks that come and visit the property if they want to leave with a basket full of tomatoes and a head of cabbage they're going to go ahead and do that. Um, we're not going to get, you know, everything's so perishable. 
Um, and it, we would have to charge four times as much as you would an hour down the road at the Acme at the grocery store. Right. So, you know, to, to do it would be a, a, a loss from, from day one. So we're going to do it because we enjoy it. We're going to do it because we like to walk people through and show them the different plants and show them the different varieties of tomatoes. Um, we're, we're working with state of Delaware to secure some funds for a high tunnel, which would allow us to, you know, start a little bit earlier and, and grow a little bit later. Might I interject? We got approved for that. So uh, that's, that's a positive. We did get approved for the high tunnel. So that'll be hopefully October or spring of next year. But that's what's a high tunnel? So a high tunnel is kind of like a greenhouse. But you can roll the sides up so that when the weather gets warmer, it doesn't cook. Oh, yeah, I've seen those. Probably seen them. So that is coming. So we actually filled out the paperwork correctly. Um, again, me yapping at one of the seminars that we went to, and they saw that I filled the application out in 2021, that I was missing some things. So they literally, the ladies assisted me there at the event. Got everything wrapped up, emailed me what I needed to sign, and there you go. So we got approved for that, the irrigation and, and, and drip. So we, they ask you what it is you're looking for. So we said high tunnel, irrigation, and like a drip system. So of course, not anything pertaining to the water is too late because it's May. But hopefully the high tunnel will be, like we said, at end of this year. If not, it'll be definitely the beginning of the following year. And we, kind of curtailed and brought in what we wanted to like, you know, grow because I was buck wild for like the first three years. Everything, anything that had a different color, the purple okra, the orange okra, the pink celery, I was growing it. Now, no, it's too much. So sticking to some basics, even with our tomatoes, we had like two long, what, 16 foot, probably like four of those of the cattle panel, which is how we grow our tomatoes. We had two different sections of that. So now it's three varieties, one big section, and that's it. This is just too much. It's a, a lot of waste. And the animals do eat and get some of that kale, the tomatoes, the stuff that's kind of, you know, on its last leg, and the stuff that is fresh, spinach. So we have several different spaces on the property for the animals to get their food that we directly give to them. But it's a lot of work when it comes to harvest. That's mm -hmm. It's trying to get everything. And because it's just he and I, a lot of people say they want to come to the property to get the food, but they more or less don't drive to Smyrna for whatever reason. We're centrally located like 20 minutes south to Dover and 20 minutes north into Middletown, probably a half hour when you're heading towards that bare Newark area in Delaware. But, and I'll drive and drop things off to people. But for the veggies, it's just too much. So if you come to the property to get the animals or the chicken meat or the turkey meat, we'll give you a grocery bag and just let you just go ahead and walk through in amazement and just, you know, pick out something that's fresh for you to make a meal with. So that's the process with the, with the veggies. When you were talking about the USDA application, you said something like, because it's May, we can't do anything with water. What, what is, what did you mean? Well, because it's, it's May and the veggies are outside now. So for them to come and actually, you know, um, apply and put the drip tape in place, the rows and everything are already 
in, in place based on the walk rows, the veggies are in. So it's a little too late to do that. You almost have to do it at the beginning stage before you start actually putting the veggies into the soil, into the ground. And okay. the irrigation part is more or less another whole well that we need because the well that we currently have is doing a lot between the animals, the house itself that we're on, the outdoor bathroom for the outdoor shower, the toilets that flush out there. So it's a lot for that one well that the second well needs to go in the pasture that has nothing that they could do that, but we probably wouldn't be able to do that until October they're raising the funding. Okay. Uh, switching gears a little bit. Um, when it comes to community, we know that that word, you know, it doesn't just refer to the town you live in. It also refers to your heritage, your culture. And when I was reporting for the print story, a lot of the people that I talked to um, talked about how um, powerful it is to see a Black American woman in agriculture and the example that that sets, especially for young people. And one of the, te the teacher of the class that you, or the school where you went and did a presentation, she even said that she could tell that that kind of opened up some of those students' eyes to agriculture as a career possibility. Um, so I just wanted to touch on that for the podcast as well. Um, so Andre, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, do you feel like a, an example? Do you feel like you're having an impact in that, in that way? I, I will say I do feel like I'm an example. And I want to say only because right now, my community, they've known me for years. I've been a real estate agent since 2000. So for 23 years, they've just known me as being a realtor. So this being Michael and I's second marriage, uh, me being married to a Caucasian man, a lot of my African-American <laughs> friends are, are just amazed at me dabbling into this. I don't want to say for whatever reason, but for the truth of it, it's hard for them to really see me doing farming. And I think part of our history, which I'm not the history buff, but part of our history shows that African-Americans through slavery time, this is what we've done. This is what we assisted, you know, the cultures in doing, meaning growing, harvesting, building, preparing. So we've done that. So am I an example? I guess I am. I just, I hate feeling like I'm tied to, for my culture, that Farming is a representation of slavery, that that's the only thing that bothers me, that I look at it from a food, from, from the eyes of this is what people are doing no matter what culture to be able to survive and to eat and to sustain themselves healthy, you know, in, in that regard. So it's, I guess I'm an example, but I don't want it to be an example of feeling like in, in in the eyes of my community that we're, I'm going backwards. I want us to know that we need to propel forward because all of us need to know how to do something to sustain ourselves when it comes to eating and when it comes to actually having, growing and raising your own food that is not chemically based, that there's nothing in there, preservative wise, that's gonna help us, that's gonna be introduced into our system that is giving us health issues. So I know for the children, it could have been, I don't know, it could have been a Caucasian lady going to the school doing it. It might have been. I think they were intrigued about seeing actual animals. And that was a middle school 
that I went to. Some of the kids who were introduced to farming and had parents and grandparents who had farms, they were more or less more receptive and coming up to the rooster that I brought, which was pterodactyl. And they enjoyed that. So I want to be an example of not the past, but the future of what it is we need to be doing, where your food actually comes from, where it comes from, how the process is actually started, and for us to stop magically thinking that everything that's in a grocery store, that there's not any blood, sweat, tears, length of time, you know, disappointment from weather, bugs, just all of that, that we go through as farmers. And, and another thing is, I don't think Michael and I are farmers. I, I actually look at farmers as the people that have this huge acreage and crops. We're homesteaders. So even though I have seven acres that most people think is a lot, but because of what I'm doing, it's not, we're really homesteaders. We have a small garden, we have a small, you know, meat operation. What's your definition of small? <laughs> I think our garden is small. I do. I feel like you feel like you've outgrown it. I don't think you would. <laughs> Three quarters of an acre of garden. Yeah, we're we're definitely probably close to there. We're definitely an acre of garden. But most, most folks have a ten by ten plot. <laughs> and they call that a small garden. I think it's because, like you said, I'm used to doing the work now. My my hands and calluses and you know the mosquito bites and all of that going on and yeah I, I just because I'm used to it and I'm also used to it because when I met Michael you had a big one and I would fuss at him because I don't like wasting food and it was just he and I and just him before we met the garden was huge I would say that your garden was probably the size of I don't know sixty by eighty easy. 60 by 80, easy. And he had a lot of stuff. So right now we're able to offer it to more people based on where we're located. We're not in the community, we're kind of out in the open. I post a lot of stuff so people see that we're doing a lot of things. So I think that has helped based on social media, my social media family. I think you but, guys are a great example of what you can do with just seven acres. I think it's bigger than you think it is. <laughs> Yes, yeah. <laughs> so with everything that you guys have going on, talk about the legacy that you want this to leave, the impact you want it to have on your community. I think it I think it would be cool if, if kids or families that came here and saw what we were doing did some of that themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, even like I said, if it's just six chickens in the backyard and a couple tomato plants, um, I don't know that I would call that necessarily a legacy, but that would be neat if if um, we've got a, a another person that we know that's going to actually come upon some property through an inheritance or something that they're is it Priscilla, uh, possibly, yeah, that also wants to do what it is that we're doing here she's doing it now yeah but she's doing it on a third of an acre right and she does a lot she priscilla does a lot so and we've learned from her based on the fruit trees she's helped us with she's given us grapes she's given us big a fig tree and different things so we have a nice 
it's funny now actually, you know, being a part of a different community of people based on what it is I'm used to. So that's definitely church, always church still. But Boys and Girls Club, you know, with my children and watching that community grow up, the real estate community. And then, you know, I, I run a little bit. So different, so now branch into nothing but, you know, Facebook pages of goats or pigs. And people constantly tagging us, hey, somebody needs to rehome pigs. So part of me almost feels like we're also that sanctuary, the sanctuary for animals. And quick story, we just on Cinco de Mayo took Angus and Sophia, the two pigs. Angus was given to us first. The original mom had him go to a vet in Quakertown, Pennsylvania, which is an hour and a half. I was determined to find another veterinarian here in Delaware, even close to Maryland. Nobody would actually be able to do hooves as far as tra trimming and give shots. So either one did the one and the other did the other. So nobody did everything together. So I'm like, forget it. We're going to find a way to get these two big pigs in a cage up on top of the truck. So you should see that in the morning. Got them there. I am a 75 mile an hour driver, maybe busing 80. I was up against the steering wheel, chest press, both hands, flash with hazards going, driving 50 to 55 with the blanket that they actually put over the cages, driving these pigs, and I saw every scenario. As much as I am also the positive thinker, I saw every scenario. And I would go across the small little bridge, I'm like, we're going over. When you go over, how are you going to hold on to the steering wheel? Make sure that the pig, I mean, the whole situation. I got there 20 minutes late, called them to tell me I was coming late because of how slow I was driving. But that there by itself was like a $1,000 bill. So hooks being taken care of, all the different shots. Of course, Angus had arthritis in his foot, so he needed to be gassed and x-rays. So that was hilarious. And then it was single de, May, single de Mayo day. So traffic was ridiculous coming home. I had other two other events to do. It was just hucking and bucking. That's what it was on that day. Hucking and bucking was happening on Friday, single de Mayo with the kids. But we don't need any more, any more animals that need that level of attention. Chickens, if something happens, but when you have the bigger livestock, like the pigs or the goats, they take more that responsibilities financially. So until the farm can gain a level of monetary, some monetary gain here, it's it's all coming from you know real estate donations, the events. It's all coming from that the nonprofit. It's all coming from those money. I was going to compliment Andrea earlier about this is like the most on topic she's a state of like any conversation we've had and just now you like blew it out of the water. <laughs> to go back to legacy, I think this will be a legacy. It'll be a legacy with regard to people seeing two strangers that knew absolutely nothing about farming, how to do it, how to try it, to even take a chance on life and something that they're wanting to do. So even if they're not doing farming, but if we're just that example of take a chance, look at these two fools doing so-and-so and such and such, and they took a chance. So I think legacy is not necessarily how we define legacy, but if it's just a example. Uh, positive influence. How
positive influence. There you go. There you go. I wrapped it up for you. She brought it full circle. <laughs> I don't have any other questions for you guys. Is there anything you want to add? I would say thank you because this went from the original story was how farmers are making other like they're financially sustaining themselves with other means. And that was actually the camping. So mm -hmm. to um, present it with the opportunity to consider the hometown heroes when we don't see ourselves that way, that I want to say to Successful Farming, thank you so much for choosing my Glen Odd to do this, to also be able to do this podcast. And then hopefully others will learn from us what to do, what not to do, but also take a chance. Thank you to Andrea and Michael Haridos for being our guests today. To learn more about Huck and Buck Farm Sanctuary, visit huckandbuckfarm.com. You can also check out Cassidy Walter's story, These Hometown Heroes, on agriculture.com.